eight years ago, one of the coolest moments in my life was a family friend of ours. Uh, we were in student ministry for 10 years, my wife and I, and uh, one of our students who we loved, her parents said, hey, we want to just surprise you. We've got a, like a special treat. So we met them, and they drove us to the airport. He's a pilot, and uh, they have a really nice kind of turbo jet, and he said, we're going to take you to dinner tonight. Flew us down to the island, um, had a dinner, which was like the coolest thing ever, right, to, to like fly to eat dinner. We got to the airport, and we had like a rental car just waiting, and um, ate dinner, and then came back, and we had to get back, and so we, we go to take off from the airport, and I'm still like a kid, because I'm like blown away that he lets me sit in the front seat with him while he's doing all his like stuff, and um, he looks at me after we get up, and he says, hey, you want to take us back? I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> he's like, yeah, do you, you want to fly it, fly it home? He said, all you need to do, you see this line? He said, this is our GPS, just, just keep it just keep it level and follow this pat, path. And I said, okay, awesome. And so, um, so I'm flying. The sun is setting. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's one of the most incredible experiences ever flying an airplane while the sun is setting. But I noticed that he would periodically tap me on the shoulder and kind of do the little headset thing and say, hey, you've taken us off course. Get back on course. Remember I told you watch the gauge. And I was, oh, yeah, and I'd get us back on course. And I'd start looking out the window again. And a few minutes later, I'd go off course again. And he'd tap me on the shoulder, get us back on course, and I'd have to steer us back. And I did that multiple times until finally he just said, look, <laughs> trust your gauge, not your eyesight. He said, the sun is setting, the horizon is shifting, and if you're paying attention to the horizon to get your bearings, you're not going to be able to stay on course. The only way you're going to be able to stay on course is to follow this gauge. Your eyes will trick you. And what I discovered that day is something um, that is actually quite dangerous for pilots. It's called spatial disorientation. It's one of the reasons that about 40% of planes crash with private pilots. It's the reason that even major airline um, pilots sometimes end the plane trips with disaster because our brains are so so accustomed to looking to the horizon and taking in circumstances. And there are moments when we get in to, like, as a pilot, that you get into circumstances where your eyes are no longer trustworthy. The only thing that is is your gauges. And the reason I think gratitude is so powerful is gratitude is a gauge. It's one of those things that gives us a stability. It gives us assurance, even in the midst of circumstances that may throw us off. That's why I think gratitude is one of those things that if you and I were to cultivate it, it probably would have more effect in our life than any other of the virtues that we tend to think about in our short list of those virtues. It's one that we all agree with is important. In fact, research outside of even what you would call religious spheres or even Christianity has attested to the value of, of being grateful People that are grateful tend to have 10% fewer stress illnesses, they're more physically fit, their blood pressure on average is 12% lower, um, their income is 7% higher, they have better relationships and are liked more in the relationships that they have. Their lifespan tends to be seven years plus on average. People who are not grateful. In the world of, in case you just think this is adults, in the world of students and teens, they have 13% fewer fights, 
20% more likely to make letter A grades in their life and 10 times less likely to start smoking. That's what gratitude does to the heart and to the soul of a human being. It's a gauge that when focused on, when utilized, can carry you through the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you come out better for it. And I think here's the challenge. Most of us would agree that we want to be grateful people. We would probably even agree that we really don't like ingrateful people. Right? I don't know about you, but ingratefulness makes me angry sometimes. It's just like that's such an unattractive thing to find in a person. But I think the challenge that we have, we want gratitude, but we don't know how to get it. And what Paul does for us, the apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, a guy who last week, if you were here, laid out for us in a very short kind of passage how to develop contentment, also gives us some very helpful three distinct practices for cultivating gratitude in our own lives. Because I think gratitude is one of those things that's worth cultivating. And Paul helps us by giving us three different ways. So what we're going to do is, if you have your Bible, um, or if you have the Encounter Church Bible app, I would encourage you to go ahead and fire it up. Um, we've already preloaded the Bible passage for today. We're going to be in Philippians, which is the letter to the church in Philippi that Paul wrote. That's why it's called Philippians, because it was to the Philippian people. Um, so if you have your Bible, you can turn it there. It's going to be towards the end, about four-fifths of the way through the Bible. If you have the Bible app, fire it up, and it's going to pop up Philippians 4. Or even in the sermon notes, it's already loaded there too. It's like magic because it's that awesome. Um, but this is the closing section. just want to remind you, if you, you weren't here last week, just remind you what's, what's behind this guy who's writing this letter. Because this is an actual letter written about 2,000 years ago. The context for this letter, as he's closing it up, is prison. Paul writes this letter in prison concerned that any day now he may die. That's, that's the frame of mind. That's where he is. That's what's going on in his life when he writes the letter to the church in Philippi. In fact, even earlier in the letter, he, he, he alludes to the potential death that's awaiting for him any day. And so Paul writes this letter. And last week we said, here's a guy who's writing in the same closing section about contentment. And we're like, that's a guy we want to learn contentment from. Like, if a guy's in prison and he's doing it, I want to learn contentment from that guy. Because that's contentment on a whole new level. And if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to, to, to listen in the app or in the iTunes. Um, we record every message and make it available. But Paul kind of puts on the college of contentment for us and says, all right, class has started. Here's how to work through it. But what he does right before he goes into that section is he... He gives some instruction about prayer, but inside of that instruction about prayer is some of the most insightful, some of the most profound, wrapped-in implications for how to cultivate gratitude in our lives. It starts with verse 4, where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Like, that by itself makes me want to learn from this guy. He's in prison. And he's like, let's have a party. Like, let's rejoice let's celebrate and the reason i think he, he gets into dismantling comparison is because he knew what um teddy roosevelt knew long before teddy roosevelt even existed that comparison is the thief of joy comparison robs from us that which is already ours right 
He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Again, he's in prison. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's Paul in just the final section of this letter written in prison to a church who has concerns about him. And just these few passages, he lays out for them and for us, I think, an incredible, incredible roadmap for cultivating gratitude. First of all, he lets us know that it's a choice. When he starts in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I think he's communicating something that's very subtle that you can miss if you don't realize where he is. He's not sitting on a beach, sipping a pina colada, right? Watching the waves roll in. He's sitting in prison. Like, there is no occasion for his emotions to be happy. But he says rejoice. He commands it. It's, it's an imperative. He says rejoice. Oh, in case you didn't catch it, because I know you know I'm in prison, I will say it again. Rejoice. Gratitude is a choice we make. Not a feeling we feel. And this is critical. Because I think for many of us, we struggle with cultivating gratitude in our lives because we think gratitude's a feeling. And if it's a feeling, then it means we're completely powerless to do anything about it. I can only deal with gratitude when it comes because it's an emotion. All we do with emotion is react. There's no proactiveness in emotion. It rushes into our life and we respond to it. And if gratitude's just an emotion, then you and I can't cultivate it. But Paul says it's a choice. We do it in every circumstance, in every moment. And if it's a choice, then it means all of a sudden we're not powerless to cultivate gratitude, we've actually been given everything we need to foster gratitude in our lives. I think we see this in other areas, don't we? With love, whether it's with your spouse or significant other, or whether it's with your kids, that when you first start off in any journey, right? When you start dating, um, when your eyes kind of lock, or when you first hold your child, there is a surge of emotions. But those emotions don't last. What was initially this tsunami of positive emotions kind of settles into this wave pool, doesn't it? Where when your child calls at 3 a.m. or 5 a.m., like mine did last night, it says, come and lay down with me, I'm scared, which is a.k.a. I'm not scared, I just don't want to be in the bed by myself. I want to talk to someone. Right? Then there is no part of me no part, that crawls out of my nice, comfortable, memory-foamed kind of like hump that I was very personally, like perfectly kind of situated in, Um, like a burrito, I mean, just warm, feeling good, to, to get out of my bed, to navigate the journey, to get into her room, and to say, sweetie, what's wrong? Oh, hey. Well, like, hey, it's early. Well, it's this is not conversation time. Let's go back to sleep, right? There's nothing in it that feels good. 
Or my wife, when it's really cold, it's like, this trash, can you take the trash outside? Now, maybe there are some of you that are better than I am, but I don't have this deep wellness of happiness that floods inside of my soul. It says, let me get the trash for you and let me sing about it as I walk out the door. No. But we understand that love, right? Parenting, marriage, it's a choice. I think intuitively, we even teach this to our kids about gratitude. We just forget it, right? At Christmas time, when they're given socks or fruitcake, and we say, say thank you. We're communicating to them, I know you don't feel happy about this gift, but you say thank you anyway, right? And we understand that, and we try to teach our kids that. But somewhere along the line, we forget to teach it to ourselves. Because we see gratitude as an emotion where, in fact, it's a choice. And when we realize it's a choice, all of a sudden, we're able to walk into any circumstance with the power to find something to be thankful for, even when we don't feel thankful. I remember our daughter struggled with croup because of this little physiological small throatness. And... Um, and so there were multiple nights where we were driving um, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. to Boston Children's to check her in because she would get it so, so bad that she would have trouble breathing and, and she would have to spend the night in the hospital. And if, if gratitude's not a choice, then that means I would walk into those circumstances completely powerless. But because gratitude was a choice, every time we were driving towards Boston Children's, I could think in my head, I'm so glad I live in a part of America where it doesn't matter which hospital I go to, it's going to be one of the best in the nation. Like There's something empowering about being able to say thank you to a doctor who's taking my daughter because I know it's one of the, she or he or one of the best in America because gratitude's a choice. But gratitude goes beyond just being a choice. I think gratitude also keeps count. Comparison keeps count too. But gratitude keeps count in the right column. Comparison notices what we don't have, right? It notices all the things that are lacking. We wanted to kick off um, Christmas early, um, so we started decorating our house this week. I love Christmas. I love Christmas music. I wish it was longer. And, and so we actually last night decorated our tree, and we thought, okay, let's, let's give our daughter a tree too, so that'll be like really cool, and she can make her own ornaments and like... Uh, my wife and her are really into the crafting thing, and this will be fun. <laughs> so our daughter walks out of her bedroom, looks at our tree that's already up, that's significantly larger, and starts to cry. And says, your tree is bigger than my tree. Right? And, and in my head, I'm like, it's just human nature to keep count, isn't it? We notice when somebody has a nicer car. We notice when someone's a little bit healthier a little bit smarter, right? We're, we're always aware of the errors that other people have. But it's really easy to miss the errors that we have in our own life. And I think gratitude keeps count, right? Where he says in verse 6 that do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. This, that's the key, that with thanksgiving. He says in every situation. So his context is talking about prayer. It's like when you come to God, Make sure that you're not only coming with the list and the needs and the wants and the desires, but also come with the gratitude of what you already have. See, gratitude keeps count. It pays attention 
when I was in, um, there was this kind of a dark season of my life where I was struggling with some depression, and it was about seven or eight years ago. I remember uh, leaving work one day, and it was just one of those days where I rolled down my window and um, kind of put on some really good music. And as I was going around the curve, I heard the loudest explosion I'd ever heard. And it was kind of this strange thing, because the explosion happened the same time this car was coming around the curve with me. It was the freakiest thing ever. Our side mirrors hit each other, going about 45 miles per hour. And when our mirrors struck one another, it exploded. And because my window was rolled down, all the glass shrapnel came flying in the car. Well, I didn't know what had happened. It was kind of instantaneous. So I pull off to the side. I'm assuming that we kind of actually hit our cars together. But as I'm starting to look, my eyesight's a little blurry, and I notice I'm missing my side view mirror. I call my wife and say, hey, I think I've just been in, I think I've had a, like a minor wreck. It's no big deal. Just wanted you to be aware. I'm probably going to be late. And, um, and I hang up the phone, and I look in the mirror, and I realize that my entire left side of my face is covered in blood. And I can't see out of my left eye. And then the ambulance shows up. And if you're ever in an accident and the ambulance guy walks up and he goes, oh, that's usually a bad sign. So I think I'm okay. And he goes, oh. And they rush me out of the car and they get me into the back of the ambulance and they start kind of cleaning. There was a, a piece of glass shrapnel about an inch long sticking out of my eye right here. And they were like, this is, sir, we've got we've to get you somewhere really fast. This is, this is bad. And because I can't see anything out of my left eye. And, uh, and as they're cleaning my eye and they're starting to do the thing, trying to figure out if they should pull the glass shrapnel out, what should they do because I'm covered with glass, um, they realize just by a few millimeters, the glass missed my eyeball. And it hit my bone and got stuck. I've never been more grateful for eyesight that day. Because within millimeters, sheer millimeters, I almost went from seeing perfectly to losing eyesight. Now here's the thing. We all can relate to that when we have tragedy in our life, don't we? It's, it's, it's the whole counting, crawl, counting Crows song. They paved paradise and put up a parking lot. You don't know what you got until it's gone, right? It's, it's that whole idea that we... We tend to only miss things after they've left our life because we never took time to be grateful for them while they were there. And that many of us will lose loved ones and it's only after we've lost them in the tragedy that we reflect back with all the gratitude that we had for them. But it was too late. And what gratitude does is gratitude awakens that same awareness that tragedy does. Except that gratitude awakens it when you can still do something with it and about it. You can still say thank you to your mom and to your dad if they're still alive. You can still appreciate every season you have with your kid so that you don't look back 5, 10, 15, 20 years later and say, man, I miss when she was in diapers. Or I miss when he wanted to talk to me. See, I think gratitude cultivates the awareness of the present and, and an appreciation of the moment you're in. And it awakens that awareness in the same way that tragedy does. 
My eyesight had always been there. It was just the first time I'd ever appreciated it. And it took tragedy to do that. Where Paul says gratitude can do the same thing. I think it's those small things. Even this week, as you sit around a table with friends or family members, taking a moment just to pause and look across the table and to say thank you to someone. Say, I am so grateful for you, Mom. Or Dad, the way you cook this turkey every year is so cool. Right? I mean, like, find the specifics and the subtle. It keeps, like, gratitude and, and thanksgiving is about the specifics. It's not great meal. It's, man, those mashed potatoes or that stuffing or, or, you know, it's like finding the little tiny moments and awakening ourselves to that and saying thank you for them. It's even like praying. I think even last week I alluded to this. Just, just maybe you don't feel comfortable praying. Maybe it's a new thing. But just saying thank you, God, can have profound impacts. Not just for you, but even for your marriage. You realize the statistics... Um, kind of back this up, that couples that pray together have a significant, significantly lower chance of divorce. I mean, it's one of the, the, the strongest and simplest things that you can do for your marriage is simply pray together. And so I would encourage you tonight or maybe this week, it doesn't have to be awkward, you don't have to come in with candles and quoting and chanting, but to say, hey, let's just pray. I'll do it tonight. God, Thank you for this person I'm praying with. Thank you for the house that I'm praying in. And thank you for the opportunity to be able to celebrate all the good things that you've given us in our life. Amen. And then you'll just have think you like, bam, awesome prayer, right? And you and your spouse would have just set aside some specific time to say thank you to God. And you do it enough, you find it starts to become easy. But there's also another thing. I think as you start to keep count, gratitude also fosters a clear view. Paul says, do not be anxious. And on the back end of that, he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. I think what gratitude does is as we are being specific and keeping count, it starts to foster in us a, a clearer view of the world. It's the reality check for us. It's that gauge that I referred to. That even in the context of prayer, that when you come to God and you say, God, here are my requests, here are my needs, here are my desires, here are my wants, but you're coming simultaneously with God, thank you for providing this. Thank you for enabling this. Thank you for bringing this into my life. What it, what it does is it presents a clearer perspective of life. You have a clearer view of your reality. Because when we get fixated on what we don't have, we tend to forget and ignore all the other things we do. And so God just hears, or your spouse hears, or your boss hears, all the things you don't have. Or all you hear from your kid is all the things they don't have. But when gratitude is thrown into the mix, there's a balance. There's, there's a kind of an opposing tension point that comes into the equation that gives us reality check. It gives us a better view. Um, I think I've shared before that my wife and I had the opportunity of doing like humanitarian type work in the north part of Uganda um, in an area that had been, um, that suffered greatly through some of the rebellions and the war, child soldiers. I mean, it was a pretty dark, dark time in their history. And we came in after um, the general had fled to the Congo across the border. And so 
we come in and we, we, land our, we land the plane that we're in on this dirt field. And we get taken to a hotel. And that's where we're staying. We haven't slept in like 36 hours. I'm exhausted. Um, she's exhausted. Our team's exhausted. Um, we know we're going to be doing some heavy emotional work throughout the week. And we get in bed and our, our kind of connection point, our like resident there who's helping us says, um, you need to know something. At 10 p.m., the town's generator shuts off and there's no electricity. And I was like, oh, this is the middle of summer near the equator. I hate sweating. Just need you to know that about me. I hate it. Right? I love cold weather. But you can't do anything about sweat. It's just there, right? So I hate sweating, and I'm just sweating just being and breathing already. And all I can think about is 10 p.m., and it's this like 24 kind of television show countdown in my head. It's like I know when 10 p.m. is going to happen, and I know if I'm not asleep before 10 p.m., I'm not sleeping because I can't sleep hot, right? So I'm trying everything I can do to get into bed. Well, we walk into our hotel room. And they're like, oh, by the way, the water is not sanitized. It's not clean. So don't brush your teeth with it. And when you shower, whatever you do, don't open your mouth. Don't let any of the water come in. There, there's some parasites. It could be bad. Just trust me. And here's some bottled water to brush your teeth with. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Beep, beep, beep. I'm like, dude, I got 10 p.m. I got to get in bed. And, and so I walk into my hotel room, and there's a mosquito net around my bed. And it's not like romantic, like, hey, girl, look what I did for us, right? Like, I got the... Right, no, no. It's we better get in this thing and zip it, or some parasite-carrying, blood-sucking insect is going to come in and kill us all. Right? I mean, that's what's happening. So I get in there, the fan's going, and then it goes. Hmm. I said, like, "No," and I just lay in the bed, hot. Like, woman, don't get close to me. <laughs> Too close, putting off heat. And you just lay there, miserable. And so the next morning we get up and we, we drive for about an hour into um, villages that we're working with. And I walk into their huts with dirt floors with their um, outhouse that's a big hole. And they treat us with hospitality. They prepare this huge, massive meal. Every place I went to, it, was, it almost got humorous. Every place I went to, they were giving me hot tea. And I'm like, you realize it's hot, right? I mean, I don't need hot tea. And, but there was this, such this like gratitude. Thank you for being here. And I realized I'm stepping into a hut complaining about my hotel. And they would have looked at that hotel like it was a luxury and a dream come true. And all I could think about was how much I was suffering. And all the things that I didn't have. See, I think what gratitude does is it prevent it, it it helps us to have a clearer view in realizing that life is a gift the things that you and i have in our life are gifts they're not to be taken for granted and you can push back and say well you know what i've worked hard i've got a good education yeah and i understand that i, I agree with you but you and i didn't choose to be born here we didn't make ourselves pop into this world. We didn't get the privilege of living in this nation when half of the world, or a little less than half of the world, lives on $2 a day. Like, the whole grand scheme of the lottery of humanity, we are the fortunate ones. Our biggest struggle in our nation is, is with obesity. With having too much food. 
And I don't say that to say that, it, that we should feel bad about it. I'm saying that we should be grateful for the gift that we have called today. That none of us in this room, none of us who will listen to this podcast, or none of the people that we even lock eyes with this week, are in a space, in a place in life where they can't find anything to be grateful for. What gratitude does is gratitude gives us a reality check. Gratitude makes us aware of all the small, subtle things in our lives that we should be grateful for. In fact, one of those things um, I would encourage you to do, swing by starting point as you leave today. We have some, uh, some cards for you that are designed to just say thank you. And I would encourage you, buy a candy bar. Bake some cookies, right? If you have a, if you're, I don't know, like you have a passion for baking, bake something. If you have a passion for buying, buy something. But then wrap the little thank you card onto it. Send it with your kid to school or drop it off at the police station or the fire department. Because the fact that you and I can dial 911 and people just show up is a really good thing. And when's the last time someone's just stopped by to say, we want to thank you? Nothing weird. I just want to give you this because I realize that if I ever needed you, you're going to show up. And I'm grateful for you. And I know you don't get paid as much as you deserve. And I just wanted you to know, I'm grateful for you. Like when we start to do those subtle things, when we write thank you cards, or when we just look for moments to say thank you, it does something. On our Facebook account this week, we will put two different things up. We will put one, if you have kids, it'll be a simple activity um, to do with your children around Thanksgiving. Another will be a link to an article that, that'll help you cultivate um, conversations that are very natural and normal so that your Thanksgiving really is thankful. Because I think this is a, a wonderful opportunity when we set aside a day to be thankful to practice making it not just one day a year, but every day a year. Or maybe it's just simply, whether on your phone or on your mirror, Psalm 118.24 that says, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will be glad and rejoice in it. And to say, today, me, me, today, I'm going to find something to be grateful for. Because today's a gift. I'm not going to take it for granted. And what Paul says is if we do this, then what starts to happen is it cultivates gratitude. And it brings peace into our life. And I love it. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. He's in prison. It's almost like he chuckles. Right? Because he's like, what's, what is being grateful? What's the peace of God? Ah, it'll guard you. I can't get out. I'm secure. I'm stuck. That's what peace will do. Peace will surround me. Even if I don't understand where it's coming from. And it'll protect me. I think that there's this holy confidence that you see in Paul, but it's not just holy confidence that goes, it, it goes beyond gratitude. And that's where I would encourage you, maybe even as you're listening, you're like, man, I want more of that. You know, I, I'm not really sure what I believe. I'm not even sure how I believe. Um, but I want more of that. I want to talk through that peace thing. And I just want to make you aware, kind of even as we close, that in January, I'm going to have a life group that meets every week. It's nothing scary, nothing 
kind of intimidating. It's just conversations built around what does it look like as an adult to have faith? And how do you, can you and how do you cultivate faith in your life? And maybe some of you can connect to my story. I didn't grow up in a childhood faith context. I, I became a Christian while in college. And so my understanding of faith is very much rooted from the adult kind of perspective, um, from a biochemical standpoint, because my undergrad was in biochemistry. So I, I really wrestled through a lot of different things in my journey to come to this place that I am today. And, and so I'm excited. And if you're one of those people who's just like, man, I'd really like to have conversations. I don't have a safe place. Then swing by starting point, click on starting point on the app, and you can actually go ahead and just let us know you're interested um, for that class or that group, that, that life group in January, and we'll reach out to you.